If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Good afternoon and welcome to the seventh episode of Pixel Sift on Radio Murdoch, the student wave. My name is Joining My name is Gianni. Now I do know my own name. Uh, and I'm joined in the studio by Mitch and special guest with the best name I've ever come across, Brad Power. Hello. G'day. Hey. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about acquisitions and the value of development companies and where that value comes from. We're also going to be speaking to Perth-based developer Paul Turbot. He's the founder of Black Lab Games and his space-oriented combat title, Starhammer, The Vanguard Prophecy. We go through all that. Mitch, what are we else are we checking out? Yeah, and finally, Johnny and Brad are going to let me know what I missed out on at PAX Australia last weekend. I tried to twist his arm and, and get him to come along, but no, he wasn't <laughs> able to do it this no, time. I couldn't make it. But there we go. All right, let's jump into it. You're listening to Pixel Sift on Radio Murdoch. So as we've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, gaming is a huge industry now, and it is worth a lot, a lot, a lot of money. It's bigger than the, uh, te- the television and movie industry. It makes more money than that year over year. And it's not uncommon, and it's becoming more common for these companies to be sold for massive amounts of money. These deals often involve billions upon billions of dollars. Um, and where do these massive values come from, though? You may be wondering. King the makers of Candy Crush and other games as well, including Bubble Witch Saga, but Candy Crush is their main yeah. bread and butter, um, was purchased this week by Activision for $5.9 billion. And I thought it would be good to have a think and a bit of a chat about where the value of that uh, IP and that company comes from. What do you think? All right, well, so... it. $5.9 billion essentially for Candy Crush, because let's, let's face it, no one's playing their other games. So I guess what they're paying for is their user base, maybe? I guess so. There is, and that user base is huge. Yeah. So Activision, you know, they don't, they don't make silly bets. No, they, they don't. But like, it, it just seems like you're, you're spending... That, that, that money is not buying the game, because Candy Crush is not that substantial and it's pretty much just a bejewel ripoff isn't it it's a yeah. game that i mean that's one of the criticisms when king first sort of hit the scene and everyone's becoming popular with uh you know everyone on everyone's phone basically if you're not a hardcore gamer yeah and even if you are a hardcore gamer you probably had a, a copy of candy crush sitting on there but the thing is they they trademarked i think they the word candy in and, regards and so to they trademarked they, saga oh they trademarked saga uh-huh. mm. okay and there was the indie game, The Banner Saga, who ran into a bit of grief with them. And all. Yeah. And, you know. And it just seemed like a really, a really not, not a very fun way to deal with anything. Like, they didn't get any friends because of that. 
I certainly growl every time I see a King ad on TV. Like, it's like, it yeah. just doesn't make me happy. Well, if yeah. we want to put that number in perspective, the $5.9 billion, Mojang, or Mojang, however mm-hmm. you prefer to pronounce it, was bought by Microsoft for $2.5 billion for the Minecraft which is only one game, really. But I mean, there is Cobalt and Scrolls yeah. as well, which is part of the, the Mojang Which, stable. in comparison, seems like a vast discount. Yeah, it's a bargain. Yeah. Um, LucasArts and Lucasfilm, which is Star Wars and mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and everything, including LucasArts, which is the game arm of that, $4.05 billion for all of that and all the merchandising rights and everything that belongs to the Lucas franchise. And Marvel was bought by Disney um, for $4 billion. So... Activision, someone in the powers of B has obviously decided that this is worth $5.9 billion. Where, where do we think this value is coming from? I think um, what they're doing is they're, they're buying an IP and, and actually an infrastructure into a market that they've not traditionally been successful in. So mm-hmm. Activision are on PC, they're on consoles, they have some kind of ports of their games to mobile, but really they're, they're, they're buying an IP or a, or a franchise um, and, and a kind of maker of valued content. So King, I mean, like you say, it's mainly Candy Crush, but they've got other games as well. And they can churn them out to Kingdom Come and, and Activision have now invested in that machine, right? So now they've got a toehold in an industry that they're traditionally not strong in. Do you think this is a bigger step in what they're actually trying to do? I noticed that they've also created an esports division as part of their thing. So you have Activision Blizzard uh-huh. and now yep. they've got an esports division and now they've got King as part of this. Do you think this is a bit more of a diversification of what they've got? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's a, um, an investment in new trends. So one of them is mobile and one of them is esports. I mean, and you could also say that Microsoft are doing the same thing, um, buying Mojang, no matter what you, you kind of attribute the, the values to, whether it's $2 billion or $5.9 billion. It's, um, it's about seeing what's, what's popular, what's trending. I mean, mine, Minecraft is unstoppable. Most games would have died by now, but they've got this long-lasting magical appeal. Um, and I think Microsoft see the potential of that, that idea that you can build with that game. So um, I think both of these companies and more, I'm sure we'll see more of this kind of thing happening in the future um, are investing in what they see as being um, growing markets in the future. Do you think King has got enough in it in terms of IP power and all that sort of stuff that they'll be able to churn out more games or are they using, are they buying the the user base as as Mitch mentioned? I I think, well, the user base thing is a definitely strong argument, but I think mainly People expect a certain thing out of King now, like with just the the bright, colorful, very simple and elegant games that they create. Regardless of my opinion, they are simple and elegant and they work. People like them. So I think, yeah, I'm tapping a market. Brad, Brad's absolutely correct on that one. Yeah. And the other thing I think is that um, so many people, like you talk about the, the user base, that install base for King Games is so huge. If they're now partnered with Activision, they use that as a vector to cross-promote and advertise their other games. And whether those are mobile games, whether that's the upcoming um, new Guitar Hero, whether it's, it's whatever, it becomes a, another platform for them to get their message out there. Do you think that the user base that they get buying into is loyal enough to the brand? I, I would think that the majority of people who are playing these sort of on-your-phone short casual games would be jumping onto whatever the next cool casual game is regardless well, of who made it. I think a gamer, no matter how casual or whatever they play on, I think today's Candy Crush player could be the next Final Fantasy or like WoW player. I think it, it's a, it's the interaction with new things and I think that as a as a marketing 
vehicle, Candy Crush is very valuable in that respect. I would I would totally agree. I think that um, there's a lot of people that weren't that didn't consider themselves gamers that kind of got into you know they end up playing Skyrim, but they start by playing Candy Crush or or uh, Bejeweled. Um, it's kind of a bit of a gateway into a larger world of exploration for them. So yeah, I'd absolutely say it, it's it's definitely a, a toehold. And if you can create stronger links between the casual sector and the, I guess, for lack of a better term, core sector. I mean, if you can create strong bridges that people can cross very easily between the two, even back and forth, I think that's valuable. Yep, absolutely. Do you think anyone else who might be on the, on the I guess, in the sites of any of these big companies, either your EAs or your yeah. Activisions, anyone well, can we think of that might be in that sort of area? One that jumps to mind is the developers of Crossy Road, they're Australian guys. Yeah, Hipster Whale. Hipster Whale. I think they'll be on the acquisition mm-hmm. path soon. Yeah, um, I remember when, well, in I remember in the past few days when Activision announced this acquisition, um, people immediately started talking about, well, is EA going to buy Rovio, makers of Angry Birds, mm-hmm. for example? I think the uh, we've said in some of our previous episodes that I think maybe we've hit the the peak IP the saturation or, yeah, point yeah. the saturation point for Angry Birds. But um, How, how's PopCap doing? How, how? Yeah, you don't hear much from them. I mean, they yeah. they, they had, became part of the EA machine, didn't they? Did. they? Mm-hmm. they and did. they're still churning away with the because um, that Plants vs Zombies Garden Warfare thing. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Well, like I said, like you could get, I guess, like Garden, Plants vs Zombies evolving into the third person shooter that that is. I'm not saying that Candy Crush would make like a great first-person shooter or something like that, but I, I guess that kind of evolution is now a little bit more possible with the acquisition by Activision. That's a perfect example of how they've yeah. converted their casual audience into yeah. and having a stepping stone sort of game mm-hmm. with uh, Garden Warfare, with Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah, so Warfare. these bridges just are going to be formed now, I yeah, think. And yeah, and someone's like, oh, I love these sort of games. I'm going to play the next Battlefield or I'm yeah. play the next <laughs> Battlefront. Or, or and I think it, it also doesn't matter like whether... Um, whether your conversion rate from casual to core gamer is only 0.1%, well, if you've got an install base of 200 million um, devices, well, that's going to be still mm-hmm. a sizable number. It's just a numbers game in the end. Great. All right, let's go on to our next segment. Let's have a listen to this. You can check out Pixel Sift and all the other great Radio Murdoch shows on www.radiomurdoch.com. Read blogs check out the upcoming schedule, and listen back to previous shows. Radio Murdoch, The Student Wave. Now, if you're a fan of space combat simulators, and I must admit that I definitely am, you can be very spoilt uh, for choice because there are many titles that are coming out that are being remastered and that are sort of re-emerging in this genre. It can be difficult to stand out from the pack, but we've got some local devs in Perth. They're called Black Lab Games, and they've stepped up to the plate with Starhammer, the Vanguard Prophecy, which is their take on the spare face, uh, spacefaring combat genre. Earlier today, we spoke to Paul Turbot. He's the founder of Black Lab Games, and they are the studio behind Starhammer, the Vanguard Prophecy. I'm Paul Turbot, founder of Black Lab Games. Starhammer is a uh, tactical fleet battle game. Um, it's a strategy game using a, a um, kind of a hybrid of a turn-based and real-time system. Uh, working on it, we actually released it, it's already available on Steam, has been out since uh, June this year. It's uh, set in the, obviously it's a science fiction game set in the um, at, uh, two centuries in the future, uh, in which um, mankind's gone out into settled on a, a new planet out in the, in the stars and come across 
um, a space-based life form called the Nautilus, and it's all about some conflicts and wars and stuff that arise through that through that exploration. And what were some of the major inspirations for creating this game? What are the, some of the games that you thought of that have kind of inspired the way that Starham has come together? Yeah, so it's not necessarily inspired by any games in particular. Uh, I actually took, um, I guess, more inspiration from other forms of media than, than games. Um, it's influenced a lot by a lot of tabletop um, war games, um, sort of miniatures and, and, and board games type things. And also just, just generally my interest in science fiction of you know, different forms. Just always wanted to create a science fiction universe. And so, so that's what we did. Yeah, that's one thing I did notice, actually. It looks a lot like that Star Wars tabletop game. Um, the game's actually been compared a lot with the Star Wars um, Armada miniatures game. Um, even though we didn't deliberately set out to make it like that, that's something that people have likened it to. Um, I think part of the design process when we were making this game was to try and make it feel a bit unique and, and a bit, um, I guess, in- innovative is a bit over, overused term, but that's definitely something we tried to do. Is make it not exactly the same as every other game that's out there. So it's not the same as every you know, turn-based strategy game. It's not the same as you know, a, a common um, you know, um, RTS. Uh, kind of, so we sort of wanted to focus on making it a strategy game where it's about thinking through, planning moves, making the right move at the right time, and that sort of stuff. Um, but not making it, but also giving it a bit of a, like a, an action um, visualisation, like making it look interesting as well. Is it a difficult balance to kind of strike between making it familiar enough and intriguing enough for people who like different things, but also not trying to make it too derivative? Yeah, no, that's definitely a challenge, yeah. There's a few systems we've put into the game that um, were kind of fairly unique and we haven't really seen it done anywhere else. Um, like one is like a crew relationship crew relationship system. Um, so if you think about a lot of the you know, big um, science fiction franchises, a lot of them, they'll have core character, characters and they have, these people interact with each other and they have relationships and stuff. So we tried to model that um, on, your, on your bridge of who your main crew members are. And depending on how they're getting along with their personality traits and so on, you get different bonuses in, in the battle, um, which kind of sounds like a good idea. But And I think it worked reasonably well, but um, a lot of the feedback we're getting is people not necessarily, um, I guess, immediately understanding how that all works. So we had to explain that one quite a bit like on the forums and stuff to, to, to get people to understand what's going on. Um, so a lot of games actually, they like games such as RTSs and even turn-based combat, they rely on like a, a scissors-paper-rock kind of way to address how things uh, can take each other down. How have you maybe avoided that or maybe have you addressed that well? Or? Um, yeah, we didn't really deliberately approach it like that. Um, I guess... Really, I think it was more. We probably approached it a little, little bit more like a um, like an RPG, I guess, in that each of the different um, ships that you can control were given like a class. Um, so each thing is good at doing some particular thing, and then the enemies that you're up against, they have their own sort of abilities, if you like. Um, and then just, I guess, just through through playtesting, we've kind of tuned. You know how much damage they do and, and how frequently they use abilities and that kind of stuff so it wasn't so much a, from a deliberate design thing where we're going well you know this is going to counter that and you know this thing counters that thing and stuff um it's just putting a whole bunch of stuff in there and then just just play testing and balancing it to, to get it to work out have you found the feedback from from players who are trying your game uh, has been valuable in terms of tuning it into a way that's both fun but also challenging 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So there was a beta that was, I think, that took place from about March until June this year. Um, and yeah, we did get a lot of feedback, and we did definitely do a lot of tuning as a result of that. Um, I think initially it was just way too hard, so we had to bring the difficulty down a bit. And yeah, once we did that, I think it's been going better since then. So. Is there a, a challenge with, I guess, hitting a point where you're saying, well, yes, the game is finished now and we've tuned it to the point, or, or is there a temptation to keep working on it infinitely um, and keep adjusting to what people are asking for and what people are providing feedback about? Yeah, so certainly when it, a version 1.0 compared to the version you know, 1.126 at the moment, there's, there's definitely some differences in those. We have been developing it further since release. Um, we added a new type of ship in the last update, came out about two weeks ago. Um, and yeah, just getting the, the people's feedback and, and you know, if there's some, some user interface adjustments, for example, that make it just a little bit simpler, a bit more slick and stuff, then you know, we're definitely going to take on all those ideas and, and, and keep putting out, putting out improvements. Um, but there's, certainly there does come a point where you say, well, we're kind of done with this, we need to look at something, move on to something else. So. Would you ever look at doing a, a Starhammer 2 or would it be something like an expansion pack or, or something like that? Um, yeah, well, at the moment what we're working on is an iPad port um, and so that's kind of in beta at the moment and yeah, hopefully that'll be out sort of later this year. Um, so we haven't really worked out what the next project is going to be yet. Um, but it's definitely something I'm going to be thinking about pretty soon. Would we do another game? Absolutely, yeah. No, no question we would. Um, whether that's going to be the next game we do or not, I'm not really sure yet. we we'll have to wait and see. Um, Maybe take the yeah. form and adjust it to a different context or something like Ocean Hammer and do ships on an actual <laughs> ocean. Or- yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do that. Um, would you do yeah, anything but- differently in the way that you have approached your release or have you learnt any big lessons that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, I think, so probably the, our biggest request we've had from people is for multiplayer, which we don't actually have in the game. Um, and that's a pretty big thing to add in. It's not something you can do easily like after after launch. So I guess if you've got a particular feature and it's a big feature like that, uh, if you're going to do it, you have to do it before, before launch. You can't add big features like that after launch. I think once you've launched, you can certainly make small tweaks and improvements and stuff. Um, but yeah, make sure all your big features are in before you before you launch. And um, what advice would you give to aspiring game developers who are thinking about creating games and, and, and getting into this sort of industry? Uh, I would say um, there's so many free tools and free assets and stuff these days um, that it's a really great time to jump in. I would say that um, you just the, the, and the best way if you want to be able to make games is just to get the tools and just start making things, start playing around. There's so many like starter kits where you get like a complete game that's already basically been built and then you can just start modifying that to um, you know, make it how you want or see what, what works as you kind of learn, learn the craft. And yeah, just, just jump in and make stuff. I think people Great. can be put off by, you know, I don't know how to do that, I'm not sure what to do. Um, but the information's out there, and if you've got the passion and the enthusiasm, then then go and make stuff. How nice is that soundtrack? That was Paul Turbot. He is from Black Lab Games. They have made the Starhammer 
The yeah, the soundtrack's actually a little a lot more epic than I thought it was going to be. Oh, you need epic yeah. space battle. You do, absolutely. Yeah. It's very important. So you can check out all that if you want to get on. They are on Steam. You can have a look. They've got a stream as well. You can get on Twitch and have a check out of them. Um, worth having a look at if you like the spacefaring strategy games. Whether PC, handheld or console, Pixel Sift, Radio Murdoch. So if you were like many of the game development people in Australia and also in the sort of Southeast Asian region, you probably would have made your way over to Melbourne last week. It was a big week. It was the Melbourne International Games Week. Um, it started off with GCAP in the beginning of the week. It had Unite as well, which was another conference that was on. And then finally was the Consumer PAX Oz, which happened last weekend. Brad and I were both there. We checked it out. We saw some cool stuff. And it was pretty good. Brad, what was one of the, some of the f- your favourite things of being at PAX and GCAP this week? Well, um, GCAP is is a much more developer oriented conference. Um, so as a as a games developer, I got I got a lot of sort of technical um, tips and and bits and pieces out of that. But I would actually say um, the bookending um, kind of opening keynote and closing keynotes for GCAP were were actually really emotional. Um, there was um, a lovely um, uh, coder by the name of Bree Code, an amazing name for someone that's a programmer, who who talked about um, uh, the, the kind of gender gap in, in games development and, and gave some really amazing examples that I think opened a lot of people's eyes as to um, why more females aren't involved in game development. And it's a really kind of a heartbreaking story that really just comes down to the way that computers have been marketed to to to, to boys, to teenage boys and, and not to girls. So that really seems to me, it was so heartening because it seems like a problem we can fix. Mm. You know, it really seems like something that where we can get, um, you know, there's, there's obviously interest from, um, from ladies to make games. And um, it's really just about uh, making the means for that to happen. So that was really amazing. And the closing keynote for, for, for um, GCAP was by um, a developer by the name of Martin, who's from Coldwood Studios. They're making the game Unravel. And he talked about how that game came to be. Um, which was, you know, the product of a lot of soul searching for him and, and kind of, um, you know, even family and personal crisis. And out of it comes this amazingly um, sort of vulnerable game. Um, and if you've ever seen uh, the indie game, the movie, where Jonathan Blow, the, the creator of Braid, talks about putting your vulnerabilities into a game, I think it makes for such heartfelt games. So maybe one of the biggest messages for me that came out of that was uh, not necessarily about games that are all about sort of smash and grab and blow things up, but actually games that are about, that have some heart to them. I think they connect to an, a whole new audience. And exactly what Bree said as well. You want to get lots of different types of hearts in there, not just That's the one right. type. That's absolutely right. It's not just for, you know, the, the kind of 18 to 25 white male frat boy. It's it's for, there's there's stories in there for everyone. That, that's interesting because like um, if you're talking about like having personal experience being put into the games you create, but everyone that plays that particular game is going to get their own personal experience out of it. Right. And I love that. Right. That's and one of the things that makes games great. Right. And that's something that um, Warren Spector, so the creator of Deus Ex, which is, is one of the more, more sort of, um, uh, I guess, in the last sort of, it's it's 15 years old now, so I might as well say in the last 15 years, it's one of the, the more um, risky games that could have been put out because there were so many different ways for you to complete a level. This mm-hmm. is not an on-rails game. You can't just... You, I tried. I remember first when I first played the game, I came out guns blazing and I just got cut down. And it's you need to try to find your own way of playing. And what they did there really was not at all dictate the way in which you play. It's not like Uncharted, which there's one way to play that game. It's interesting when you think about how games is very different to your mass media 
TV um, movie sort of industry, but there's a lot of similarities in the way that you create these games. So your Deus Ex is probably not going to be your diehards and your you know big budget action film or your Star Wars or anything like that, but it might be sort of a smaller independent film where you can come mm. into it and then when you're actually talking about it with your friends afterwards, you can be like, oh, well, what did you do? Or how did right. we experience that thing? Or, or I thought this because of this particular thing, or I didn't even find this particular thing when I right. was there. And I, th- I think what's especially amazing about that game is, like you say, it's 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 not going to be the, the, the blockbuster because it's not telling you and holding your hand with everything that you do. And yet it won over 25 Game of the Year awards in the year it was released. So obviously players and and critical review loved that game. And I think it, it heralded in, or at least it, it made put, pushed into the mainstream, that idea of creating your own story, your own way of playing. And now we're seeing a lot more titles start to do that. I think one of the best things about PAX and, and these conventions that we have is you get an opportunity to see some of these smaller developers who are starting out who haven't kind of got the burden of having to deliver a massive quarter or anything like that and trying to be able to create these more personal stories and a bit more interesting things and kind of you know, explore and, and see these things. And I, personally, I think one of the best things of, of that event was seeing all the work that everyone has done. And yeah, I feel great. I feel proud to be an Australian in like associated with the Australian gaming industry. It's interesting how you mentioned Deus Ex as like you have to find your own path and it doesn't hold your hand. I played a, I played a game fairly recently. Um, it's Valiant Hearts, um, The Great War. And that is pretty much the opposite of what you just said, that it pretty much holds your hand through the entire way. And it's very on rails. There's only one way to do things. And it's it's very story driven, but I still got a very I, I it got an emotional response out of me. Yep. I mean that I cried about three times in that movie. Well, I, uh, not movie game. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and so I, I think I think that's the beauty of it. I think we don't we can even be directed upon a path and still get emotional responses. Yep. I think that's absolutely true. So different things work for everyone. What I think is really amazing though is that ability to um to something that Bree Code said, which was um that. Uh, art is is how we we make a bridge between our our, our dreams and so yeah and how one person's kind of idea of something is communicated to someone else and we actually form a bridge there's a lot of dreams out there on the pax floor a lot of bridges in pixels of today yeah a lot of bridges um what were some of the great things that you saw when you were out there checking out the well i think i think two things that really stood out to me um one was the just the sheer amount of indie games that were at PAX. Um, there were just there were rows and rows of them, and they were all amazing. You know, they, it was all killer no filler. Um, there were there were so many funny responses. People were laughing and smiling and really having a lot of fun playing these games. Um, and the developers, I think, really loved the chance to show them to the public. So that was one thing that was amazing. And I think the other thing was the popularity of the tabletop section. Um, you know, it's it's really that the show floor, if you've not been, is divided into almost, I would say, almost two halves. And one half is, is you know, all bells and whistles and lights and, and you know, epileptic seizures um, on, on the video game showroom floor. And you kind of walk into the other area and it's this uh, this calm, everyone, you, this, there's the sound of people throwing dice, you know. and yeah, moving markers across right, the board. Right, and, and thinking. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, just I remember taking a photo at one stage of, of the entire tabletop area where... I would estimate, I don't know, 100 tables worth of people were sitting there uh, playing, you know, Settlers of Catan or, you know, Monopoly or game, you know, Ticket to Ride or just games you haven't heard of as well. Um, And I couldn't even take... I, I almost had to do a panorama shot to fit them all in. There were just so many people playing tabletop games. It's exactly how Paul was saying that, like, games such as Starhammer, for example, have those roots in those tabletop games. If you if you look at, like, D&D, for example, the math is all there. Mm. I mean, it's all... Like, it, the idea of, like, the the modifiers and things like that 
it, it's all there. It's found in World of Warcraft. It's, it's a the tr- same. It's a true it's RPG. E- it's even in Destiny for like. Oh, here we go. I said right. it again. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, it's even in things like that. So, I think yeah, we need to have a look back. And I think they've gained in popularity over the past few years. Actually, they've just come back board games and tabletop games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, a testament to that is that one of the closing sort of shows that you could see at PAX was um, a team of uh, Australian comedians playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they were joined by Senator Scott Ludlam. And it was a fantastic time. I mean, my face hurt from laughing afterwards. It was so <laughs> hilarious. There's so many great ways to tell stories, and people can kind of take it whatever they way they would like to take it. And yeah. I guess that's one of the options. I think some of my best picks of the show, I think one to definitely have a look at and was very fun to play. Um, was a game called Inflatality. And if you see All those right. uh, like inflatable noodle men that you see outside of car yards, uh-huh. it was a fighting game based on those dudes. And I so want it was that. all like physics based and you had to kind of like swerve around. And this is all, I'm doing a lot of hand movements. It doesn't work very well for radio. Um, that was one of the ones to check out. Sorty was good. They've been back again for a second year. That's always very fun. It's very physics based and you, you just die a lot of the time. Another game to check out, I thought, was a game called Western Press. Um, which is a short, short little party game, and basically you've got to do the sequence of commands, a bit like a Guitar Hero sort of game, right? Um, but you do it in a, in a sort of a countdown, and whoever gets through the sequence, um, it's like a quick draw game, like a in a, in the Wild West, and you sh- you know make the shot against your enemy. So that was very fun. But there's lots of great things to check out as well. Uh, um, there's um, a, a, a huge range of fantastic games, and we're going to be chatting to some of those people in the upcoming weeks um, about how their game came together, what they did to uh, create the games, and uh, some of the experiences they had while being at PAX and um, learning stuff at GCAP as well. So what's that called again? Noodle Men. Inflatality. Oh, okay. Sorry. Inflatality. Inflatality. I love that. It's good. I like a good pun name. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. So, yeah, it's uh, there's plenty of great stuff to have a look at. Brad, thank you very much for joining us today, coming in and being the special guest. No um, problems. If you want to see more of Brad's work, you can check out some of the great uh, Murdoch game students. Uh, he's been uh, helping them and... and uh, mentoring them and creating great things. Um, You've been listening to Pixel Sift. This is uh, Radio Murdoch's video game show. We're on every week. You can find us online. We're on www.radiomurdoch.com forward slash Pixel Sift. That's P-I-X-E-L-S-I-F-T. We're also online. You can find us on social media. Uh, We're at facebook.com forward slash Pixel Sift. We're on twitter.com forward slash pixelsift. We're on twitch.com forward slash, you guessed it, pixelsift, um, and all other places there. You can listen to us live every week at 2 p.m. or you can get us on the podcast on iTunes. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll have a chat to you again next week. See ya. Bye. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. 
Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 